You're listening to Two Brain Radio. We make gyms profitable, getting you on track to making every day your perfect day. Every week, we'll deliver top-shelf business tactics to help improve your gym, advance your fitness career, and move you closer to wealth. Get ready to start building your bigger and better business with your coach, best-selling fitness author of Two Brain Business, Grow Your Gym, and Help First, Chris Cooper. Two Brain Summit is coming up June 2nd and 3rd in Niles, Illinois, and it's 70% sold out. This is the largest affiliate gathering on earth outside the games, and it's hosted by us, the Two Brain Business Mentorship Team. The way that we run this summit is more interactive than ever before. We do present topics, but after every single topic, there's a work table. You're going to be divided up into groups. You're going to be doing some role playing. You're going to be doing some brainstorming. You're going to actually be working on your business instead of me just dumping a bunch of ideas on you and paralyzing you. Here are some of the topics. We have two tracks. There's an owner's track and a coach's track. On the owner's side, we're going to walk through affinity marketing. We're going to walk through the sales process step-by-step, how to present options to clients, and then role-playing with other owners to help you get over that fear of conversation. Then we're going to be talking about staffing, how to place the right people in the right seats based on their personality types and skill set. Then we'll talk about increasing ARM, how to make a solid career by focusing on high average revenue clients instead of high volume clients. Then we'll talk about member retention, how to use peak moments to keep members engaged long term, how to fire your bad clients and how to smash clicks. John Franklin then will talk about funnel marketing, a review of the current best practices, what's working and what's not. We'll be talking about Facebook stuff. We'll be talking about YouTube stuff, the Google Ads Pixel, and I'll even chip in and talk a little bit about using Amazon as part of your funnel. Then we'll move to how to pay yourself uh, from Brian Alexander and John Briggs. We'll talk about family and work balance with Jeff Smith. We'll talk about how to start a nutrition program in your box with Nicola Coyne. Talk about the Ignite program. We'll talk about Two Brain Workshop, what it is, how do you get one. And that's just on the owner's side. On the coach's side, our theme this year is how can I make a living in the fitness business? So if you want coaches who are going to stick around for a long time, do them a huge favor, contribute to their career development, bring them to the summit, and they're going to hear things like the roadmap to success, how to plan out your career, including what you're going to earn using this new tool from Brian Alexander. How to sell and build a nutrition program with somebody who's done it, Lindsay McDonald. How to sell personal training without feeling like a salesman. How to do RPR. A special guest this year is JL Holdsworth. He's going to teach RPR, which is an amazing new system that allows you to make instant improvements in your performance through manipulation of your nervous system. JL has done this with a lot of NFL teams like the Jets, the Bengals, the Vikings, the 49ers, the Jaguars, and more. Then we're going to talk about how to start and run a profitable kids program with Gretchen Brinemeyer. She was a huge hit on this podcast a few months ago. We'll talk to Haley Campbell about how to start and run an Ignite program. We've got all kinds of stuff for coaches. We're going to be doing a workout with some special guests uh, from the Torpedo. Alika will be there talking about how to build a weightlifting program. And it's not expensive to bring your coaches. The price is $3.99 for each owner and $100 for each coach. There are people who are bringing a dozen people from their coaching staff because they want to give every single coach the opportunities to make a meaningful career and build the business of the box owner. That's the Two Brain Summit. The link is in the podcast notes at twobrainbusiness.com forward slash podcast. And I hope to see you there.
My name is Chris Cooper, and after years of mentoring entrepreneurs, I can tell you there are four distinct phases to an entrepreneur's lifestyle. The first phase is the founder phase, when you're jumping off that cliff and you're making that first leap into owning a business. This phase isn't as scary as it once was, but if you're planning to turn your business or your side hustle or your project into a real business, there are certain steps that you need to take. The founder phase is the most exhilarating. You're excited. You're ready to stay up all night. It's also the scariest, and that's what kind of drives you towards success. The key to success in the founder phase is getting the hell out of the founder phase as quickly as you possibly can so that you save your energy for more productive things than doing all of the things, showing up and making the shoes. And in this episode, we're going to talk about how to do that. The second phase of entrepreneurship is what we call the farmer phase, and I'll talk about that in a future episode. In the farmer phase, you're starting to build systems to replace you. You're going from buying yourself a job to running a real business with real staff, with real responsibilities, systems and processes in place. Uh, you're working on retention. You're focusing on a higher value client instead of just every client you can get. The third phase of entrepreneurship is what we call the tinker phase, and in this phase, you're working on yourself as a leader. You're practicing personal development physically, mentally, cognitively, and what you're trying to do is level up yourself so that you can lead this growing organization. You are going through what many entrepreneurs call the valley of death. You're hiring people maybe ahead of cash flow, maybe from outside the company for the first time because they possess a skill set that you don't. You're not directly having uh, everybody report to you anymore. You might be introducing a management layer for the first time. And so this is really scary. But on the other side of that is the fourth phase, which is what we call the thief phase, which is taking a successful product or service and pairing that with something else so that the whole is more than the sum of its parts. It's also turning around and mentoring those behind you. And we'll talk about that in a future episode too. But for today, we want to talk about the founder phase, how to get your idea through the startup phase as quickly as you possibly can, how to launch, how to jump off the cliff, and how to start generating cash flow. First, here's my story. When I opened Catalyst in 2005, I really didn't have much going for me. What I did have was a $16,000 line of credit that was lent to me by a partner at the time. And I also had the burden of somebody to feed other than myself. I had my wife and a new baby. Uh, we had a brand new mortgage and I needed to get paid on week one. That's a blessing. Sometimes you need these parameters to define the limits of what you're able to do. There are many, many entrepreneurs who depend only on themselves, who live alone or maybe in a friend's basement, who don't need to make a paycheck that first week. And so what happens is they say, well, there's money coming in now, but I don't need to pay myself. I'm going to reinvest it in the business. And they keep doing that. And a week becomes a month and then a month becomes a year. And then three years down the road, the business is alive, but the entrepreneur is not being fed. And so they start taking other jobs. And before they know it, they've committed so much to the monthly expenses of the business that they can't pay themselves. We've seen this time and time again. One of the keys that we want to do in the founder phase is create the discipline to pay yourself right from the beginning. Whether you need the money, I'm doing this in air quotes or not, it's very important that the business exists to serve you, and that means that you get paid first. And that is an exercise and a habit that we're going to develop with gym owners and entrepreneurs that we work with, even if they haven't even opened their gym yet. I want them to get paid on day one. 
Let's run through your other goals in the founder phase. The key to the founder phase is innovation. You either have a great idea or you see an opportunity to expose a new market to a great idea. For example, if you're opening a gym, maybe you live in a city where people are enthusiastic about CrossFit, but they're not doing it yet because there isn't a gym there. So you say, okay, and after some study, you decide, yeah, there's lots of good reasons to open a gym here. The reason that there isn't a gym isn't because it's a bad idea to open a gym here, but there is an actual opportunity. Your dollar's goal is what we call break even plus, which is we want to get the business in the black, including your payroll. Right now, you're the only employee of the business. And so one of the key expenses that we're going to track is payroll. But of course, that's just payroll to you. Your time goal is 60 to 70 hours a week. Let's be frank here. When people are using the hashtags hustle and grind, they're really talking about the founder phase. Later on in your entrepreneurial path, as you mature as an entrepreneur, you should not be shooting to work 60 to 70, 80 hours per week. That might be necessary in the founder phase, but by the farmer phase, you're not doing your business or yourself or your family uh, any kind of favor by crushing yourself like that. And it probably tells me that you're working on the wrong things if we talk and you say you're three years in and you're still working an 80-hour week. Your kingmaker equation is low. So the kingmaker equation is time divided by money. Right now in the founder phase, you're really trading your time for money. Um, you're dedicating your time to low value roles, high value roles. You're kind of doing everything and you're not getting a big return on it. In the founder phase, do not calculate your hourly wage because you're going to see it's worth about five bucks an hour. And again, this is another reason why we want to get you out of the founder phase really, really quickly because we want you to start making more money for your time. And that's the point of entrepreneurship. The roles in this phase are working in the business. So you're delivering the actual service yourself. You're coaching the classes, you're making the shoes, you're cooking the donuts. You bought yourself a job. That's understandable, but it's not desirable for the long term. The big challenges in the founder phase are many. Number one is identifying your niche. Who are you actually serving? Number two is building your pricing around your perfect day. It's a struggle mentally, but it's not a struggle mathematically. If all we do is just divide out, you know, how much money you need to make based on your five goals, and then we say, okay, well, I can serve this many clients, let's call it 150, and now you know how much each client has to pay you, and you can put this on a bell curve to figure out, okay, 20% will pay me more, etc. But the big point here is that you know what you're going to charge based on what the business needs to provide you, instead of saying, here's what the other people around me are doing. Here's what this guy's charging for donuts. I'm going to charge three cents less. The other challenges are your product. What are you actually selling? Maybe you're selling group classes. Maybe not. Maybe you're selling high volume perms. Maybe not. You also want to be able to quit your job. So the founder phase should serve as a transition away from whatever kind of stable career you're working in, or maybe even away from academia if you're graduating into the job market for the first time. The other challenges include finance. Of course, you're going to have to pay the bills. So usually in the founder phase, you're taking out longer term loans because you're prioritizing cash flow over everything else. Money, of course, you've got to start making some money. Pay, if you have to hire staff right out of the gate, how much are you paying them in the founder phase? You know, since a CrossFit gym especially is an owner-operator model and not an investment-grade asset, you want to be looking to pay staff maybe down the road in the next phase or at least paying staff in low-value roles instead of trying to hire people as coaches just to be like, you know, duplicates of yourself. 
you also want to be starting to generate some sales and that means a little bit of lead gen and you want to get your website going. So there's a lot of challenges in the founder phase if we just go down the list. We've got niche identification, we've got setting your pricing, determining what your product is, quitting your job or giving up security in other words. We've got finances, establishing cash flow. We've got identifying and maybe paying some lower value staff. We've got generating sales and leads. And then we've got building your website. The way that we help people in the founder phase is through one-on-one intensive mentoring. It's through uh, delivery of books. If you've read Two Great Business 2.0, that's really built to help people get out of the founder phase and into the farmer phase. We do a uh, an exercise called the 10-Hour CEO, which is basically like a 10 to 12-week guide to working out of the founder phase yourself. It's a, a good tool uh, with the oversight of a mentor. And we also do some workbooks and type. But now what I want to do is walk through your key opportunities in the founder phase, why you want to get out of the founder phase as quickly as you possibly can, and how to overcome some of those big challenges that I listed. Let's start with your bright spots the key attributes that you bring into the founder phase. Number one is excitement. You're pumped. You're an entrepreneur for the first time and rightly so. You're doing amazing things. You're going to create wealth for your family. You're not going to have a boss anymore. You're going to be working on your idea and proving to the world that you're smart and hardworking and that you can do this all on your own. You've got lots of energy. Hopefully you're well rested from university or the other job that you're coming from right now. You are excited to build something with your spouse and entrepreneurship can tighten the bond between spouses. Definitely. If we're not careful to get out of the founder phase quickly, it can definitely erode that bond too, because the founder phase is tough. You are bringing in the passion for your service and the righteous indignation of not seeing the service done better. Many times, and you know, most businesses actually come from the idea of improvement, not the idea of innovation. So you might be doing CrossFit at a gym and you say, I could do this better. This should be a lot better. I want people experiencing CrossFit in a better way. I'm going to open my own gym and do this 10 times better. And I get that. That will serve you, my friend. Use that chip on your shoulder. Use that righteous indignation. Use that anger and that fire. You are going to be hustling. You are going to be grinding, but you're not grinding for the sake of grinding. I'm going to link to an article in show notes called The Hustle is a Lie, which I wrote about a year ago because I'm starting to see entrepreneurs start companies with this sense of romance that, you know, I'm just going to be up all night. I'm going to pick up this cigarette smoking habit so that I can look cool. And they've got this like black and white vignette in their brain of them tired, but but self-satisfied, you know, doing their books at midnight and finally becoming this millionaire entrepreneur. That is not the case. Uh, Anybody that's been open for more than six months knows that's not the case. Hopefully you won't start smoking. Hopefully you won't be up at midnight. Hopefully you won't be stressing over your books. Hopefully you will becoming uh, a millionaire entrepreneur. Our goal though is to get out of that hustle and grind as quickly as we possibly can and start building systems to replace us and build a brand instead of um, like a personal renown. So those are our assets and we're going to leverage those as much as we can. Even though it feels like you have boundless energy at startup, it's really important that we leverage that energy and harness it and direct it toward doing the right things. When I opened a gym, I had every possible reason to succeed. I had, as I said, a hungry family. I had a mortgage. 
I had no other income stream at home. I needed to succeed. But if I hadn't found a mentor, I would not have been successful anyway. Even after almost five years of owning a gym, I had not figured it out. I had read books. I was listening to audiobooks for an hour every single day. I had a minor uh, in business education and university. I had every reason to figure it out. Only when I finally realized that I wasn't just going to figure it out on my own and God help, that's when my business started to become successful. And that's what we recommend for people in the founder phase, that you seek and find a mentor who knows what you're going through. They've been through it themselves and they know how to get to the next stage. So our big challenges that we're going to be overcoming in the founder phase are, again, niche identification, your pricing, determining what your product is, quitting your job or giving up security, finances, establishing some cash flow, establishing your first clients, starting to pay staff to do some low value roles, generating some first sales and getting a website going. Let's walk through those things one by one. First, identifying your niche. Your business will not serve everyone, no matter how much you wish it could. You're not going to derive $1 from every human being on earth, uh, you know, netting $6 billion. You need to cut your audience down to the smallest monopoly you can. Monopoly is the group of clients who would never buy anywhere else. And that monopoly, when you open your business, might be your mom. It might just be a couple of clients who are coming with you from your previous job. That's definitely understandable. But this niche is your core client that you're looking to serve. And it's important that we establish who those people are using a very small group of maybe four to six max so that we have a good idea of what it is that we're trying to sell. Now that sounds funny because like most entrepreneurs, you think, well, I'm just selling what my previous job sold, but I'm going to do it better. And I'm going to sell it to more people and they're going to have broader application from it. And I'm going to get 400 clients where my previous job had 200. But the key to growing a large audience is to start with a very small audience, stay very true to your original values, serve the clients what they want and get more clients exactly like your originals. After you've established your niche, the people who are in your monopoly group, the next step is to ask them what they want. This might sound funny, but the biggest trap that entrepreneurs fall into is projection. We think that everybody is just like us and everybody will like what we like. I can remember when I started a gym, I was powerlifting and I was starting to do CrossFit and I thought, wow, everybody wants hardcore workouts like this. And so I advertised on my website that if you were having a bad day and you just wanted to be left alone to smash weights, that you could use this certain code word when you walked into the gym. And of course, other trainers heckled me. Other trainers in town who understood that's not what my clients wanted started posting really funny messages on my website. Like how many of these go hard days can I have per month? Uh, what if I like to go hard every day? Do I have to say the magic word? But we make this mistake of projection when we're determining what we're going to sell. We make this mistake of projection when we say, I'm going to talk like this. My website is going to have this on it. This is the language that I'm going to use. I'm going to speak in English or French. So it's important that we interview these clients in our monopoly to say, what is it that you want? Because if we're selling a service that's close to what they want, but not quite, they're going to leave. We're going to lose our initial niche to somebody who sells exactly what they want. So if we're doing 90%, whoever's selling 100% of what they want is going to take them as a client later on. 
So we're going to do our niche survey. This isn't a survey monkey automated Google form, anything like that. It's a coffee talk. You're going to sit down with this niche client and you're going to say, who are you and what do you want? What draws you to my service right now? Even if this interview is with your mom and she says, oh, you're just so handsome. I just want to pinch your cheeks and give you money. It's important to ask what your mom wants in life so that you can dedicate your service toward that. And then we can duplicate uh, people like your mom and start bringing them into the gym. So before we determine what your pricing is, we need to determine who your niche ID is. Then we need to say, what product are we going to be selling them? Then we're going to say, how many clients can I reasonably expect to serve? With most businesses, including CrossFit gyms, we start with Dunbar's number, and that's 150 clients. We use that number because anthropological data shows us very clearly over time we can influence and maintain relationships with 150 people. After 150, we start to forget their kids' names. We start to forget where they work and whether they have a dog. And so in the founder phase, when you don't have a management layer, you don't have a brand other than your own name, we're probably going to have no more than 140 to 160 clients. So we're going to build our cash flow projections off that. Then we're going to set our goals. So we're going to say, what do I want this business to provide me? The business exists to serve you, the entrepreneur. And so it needs to generate the cash to pay you, but also to take you eventually to perfect day. So if we calculate, here's how much revenue I need to pay for my bills, to pay for my lifestyle, my travel, my education, and my, my ability to serve others in the community. Once we calculate that number, then we say, okay, in this industry, the average profit margin is XYZ. That will tell us how much gross revenue we need to generate. And if we divide that number by 150, it will tell us what the average client needs to pay for our service on a monthly or on a recurring basis. If you're running a hairdressing salon and you're not sure that everyone will come and get a haircut every single month, one of the best things that you can do in the founder phase is set up your product to ensure that they will be back every month. So instead of saying, book an appointment when you feel like you need a haircut, we can set up our service to say, we'll let you know when it's time to come in. You can also set up your processes and procedures, and we'll talk about that later, uh, to get clients in on a recurring basis. Dentists are absolutely fantastic about this. Personal trainers are better at this than CrossFit coaches are. After we've got our pricing down, we need to start generating some cash flow. With gym owners, we have a time-tested, data-proven strategy called the Founders Club. Um, that name gets copied a lot and misused. The Founders Club with any business is uh, to get people to sign up in advance and commit their cash to spending. It's not to get Facebook likes. It's not to get followers. It's not to get website visits. It's not to get shares or Instagram you know, likes, whatever. The whole point is commitment of funds. It's very, very easy when somebody is looking at starting their own business to pull their clients and say, man, if I start this new gym, I know these 30 people are coming with me. Until those people have handed you a check, they're not your client. It's really important for all entrepreneurs to understand this, that there are no sales until there are sales, until they actually give you their credit card number, until they hand you an envelope with cash, they are not your client yet. So... When we're working through Founders Club, we try to get people to commit to sign on the line, which is dotted to steal from Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. 
And in a gym, we typically do that by offering free consultations before the gym is even open, by offering like a nutrition plan for people in our Founders Club, by offering certain bonuses for people who sign up for that Founders Club. We're not willing to trade a long-term discount against early commitment. What we are willing to trade though is some upfront services. So we might give a couple of bonus sessions. If you're running a different type of business, back to the hairdressing salon, and we say, come in for your haircut on opening day, and we will give you a blank. That bonus should be, maybe it's like a free uh, mustache combing. Some other service that costs you maybe a little bit of time, but it doesn't cost you any money that you don't have. Or maybe you're linking up with a partnership to create some kind of festival atmosphere where you're giving out a bonus on their first day. But the point is that we want to generate some cash flow before you even start. The dark side of cash flow generation at startup, which is very tempting for entrepreneurs, it certainly was for me, is taking clients from your current job with you. Employers are getting better about this with non-competes and non-solicits. Um, if you're a CrossFit affiliate, you can't have signed a non-compete because HQ will actually fight that on your behalf. But maybe if your affiliate owner was smart, they had you sign a non-solicit. And that means go ahead, go start your own gym, but don't try to attract my clients by offering discounts, low pricing, or other, uh, you know, romance. One huge mistake that the owner of the personal training studio made uh, where I was working was when I, when he found out that I was leaving and I, I wasn't above board with the whole thing, I was terrified and uh, my partners were still trying to talk me into going out on my own. And the first step was, well, just let's go look at some space. You don't have to commit to anything. We'll go look at some space. And if you see something that's obvious, then, you know, we'll take the next step. We'll go get a, we'll go talk to the bank. So I went to look at some space. Of course, that made the owner of my current gym find out. And uh, I always felt bad about the way that whole thing went down. But he did make a big mistake. And that was, he allowed me to stay and work at the gym for two more weeks and write a letter to our clients explaining why I was leaving. And he wanted me to explain that there was nothing wrong with what I was doing, that I was going to start my own thing because who knows. So we wrote this letter, we sent it to all of our clients, we even posted it up between the training rooms and guess what? More than half the clients came with me when I opened my gym. It was like free advertising. So it, it is kind of a, a, it's a bad habit, you know, to, to open your own gym with clients that came from your previous gym or open your own salon with clients that came from your previous salon. But here's the yang to that yin. I believe that clients deserve and will seek out the best service. And I believe that the market will prove who that best service provider is. So if you open a gym and half the clients come with you and you're not, you know, charging half price or something crazy like that, then it's probably because they see you as, you know, their best. On the other side of this, if you own a business and one of your staff leaves and takes a bunch of clients, then you had a weakness built into your system. You know, maybe you were letting your coaches refer to themselves as like coach for life or something crazy like that. So that the client formed a tighter bond to the coach than they did to the gym. So they left. But whatever way you generate your first clients, and there, you know, there are a hundred other ways too. The point here is you're generating enough business, uh, enough cash flow to pay for your bills and take a little bit home without sacrificing your margin long-term. So in the founder phase, there's this, this magnetic pull 
I need money. I've got to eat. I've got to pay myself on Friday. I'll do anything to get money that you have to resist because it's very easy to sabotage yourself long-term by offering upfront discounts. And the only reason that you would do crazy stuff like that is out of fear. If you need a mentor to help you overcome that fear, which disguises itself sometimes as like a, a good practice in business, uh, you know, you convince yourself like, well, this is a good idea, but really what you're doing is just succumbing to fear. If you need a mentor to help you overcome that, you know who to ask. Chris at TwoBrainBusiness.com. The next is quitting your job, taking that leap. So what we like to do with entrepreneurs is say, okay, how much money do you actually need to survive? You know, if you're at a job right now and you're making 100000 what amount of money will actually cover your bills? Is it 70000 Is it 82500 Is it $40,212.17? We want to know that exact number that you actually need rather than just saying, okay, well, we're going to try and replace the income that you have. We want to be precise. And what we're trying to do here is first narrow the gap of fear for quitting your job using logic and data as much as we possibly can. We're going to use emotion later. So think of it as shortening the distance between first base and second base. You've got your one foot on first base and you're scared to take that foot off first base and try and steal second. I get that. What we're going to try and do is cheat. We're going to try and shorten the distance between first and second as much as we can. And we're going to start that with logic. So let's shorten that distance. How much money do you actually need? The second question is, can we cheat a little bit more? Can we work part-time at your current job and still start working on you know, your side hustle or your second job? Can you work on it at night? How long is that sustainable? You know, Will your wife allow you to do that for six months to build up the revenue as much as you can? And we're shortening the distance even more. Then you say, how much money do I need before I'm comfortable taking this jump? So if you determine, okay, I need $46,700 a year to pay for all my bills. I would be comfortable making the leap into full-time business ownership if I was making $35,000 a year working six hours a day. Because I know if, that if I devoted all my time to this business and I had you know, some positive constraints like I needed to eat, that I could bump that up to $46,000 a year. After we've brought those two bases closest to, as close together as we can using data, then we start looking at emotion. You know, what are your emotional levers that your mentor can help you use to make the leap? Is it that your kids deserve a better life? Is it that you have a ceiling at your current job and you'll never earn more than you currently are? Is it that you feel like you owe it to your clients to provide a better service than what they're currently getting? Whatever those buttons are, we're going to press them so that you do take off from first base and run toward second base. Then we're going to start replacing you in low value roles. Now it's going to seem at, at startup that all this hustle, all this grind is best done by you. It's going to seem like, well, the cost to hire a cleaner is $15 an hour and the cost to hire me is $0. But that's a myth. The cost to hire you is one hour of your time. You cannot hire a salesperson for $15 an hour. But you can be the salesperson and you can hire a cleaner for that same time. So when we're working with entrepreneurs in this startup phase, we say hire a cleaner, pay them the $15 an hour, whatever. Use that time while they're mopping, while they're cleaning to work on sales. And sales just means getting the people who are already interested, they're already familiar with your service 
to commit. It's working on conversions. It's not generating Facebook ads. It's walking up and down the street with coffee and saying, hi, my name is Chris. Let me tell you about CrossFit. Or hi, my name is Chris. How's business? Forging relationships, getting out behind your screen. It's meeting with your best clients and asking them how you can serve their spouse. It's asking them where they work and how you can serve their coworkers. And it's affinity marketing, basically. Finally, you need a website. You might just need a landing page, depending on what your business is. Probably going to need a Facebook page. You don't need a full funnel. All you need is the ability to harvest names and email addresses from people who are already interested in your product and carry on the conversation. At this point, in most markets, you're dealing with early adopters. So people who have maybe heard of your business, they've heard of CrossFit, they've heard of Krav Maga, and they're going to be eager to jump in and try it. Now, this audience isn't always the best for retention, but they're good for cash flow and getting you over that initial hump. Now that you've overcome or you're working on these challenges, the point is to get into the farmer phase as quickly as you possibly can. The founder phase burns brightly, but it doesn't burn long. And you're, you're drawing on energy reserves that uh, will take years to replenish. If you're two years, three years into this, your lease is coming up, you find you're still working 60 to 70 hours a week, or you still haven't quit your full-time job, or you're still not making enough money to pay yourself, then you're still in the founder phase. If you've been going for 10 years and you're still delivering most of the service, you're still coaching most of the classes, making most of the donuts, you're still in the founder phase. You don't automatically graduate after six months or a year. There's no time limit on the founder phase. There's a knowledge and an action limit, and it means doing the right thing. Once you get into the farmer phase, it means that you're getting paid. It means that you've got a little bit of flexibility in your schedule to work on high value roles. It means that you're getting some staff. It means that you're focusing on growth and you're kind of cultivating a profit margin and different revenue streams. It means that you're replacing yourself in the delivery and maybe you're sleeping a little bit later, but you're definitely eating better and you're getting more self-satisfaction. In other words, when you turn into a farmer, you start working on the business instead of in the business. And you start building a real business instead of just owning a job. If you find yourself stuck in the founder phase, I don't blame you. I was there for probably four years. And while we work all the time with gym owners who can get out of that phase within six months, it's very easy to get stuck in that trap. And we see that across every industry, not just the gym industry. But you're not going to get out of it without help. You're not going to figure it out on your own. Even if you're twice as smart as I am, you still need guidance to take, take action on the right things in the right order at the right time. The smarter you are, the bigger the trap it can possibly be because you can have a ton of ideas and instead of doing the fundamental things that will create time to work on those ideas, you start going down a thousand different rabbit holes. And so before we move into the next episode where we're talking about the farmer phase, it's really important now to realize what phase you're in and what's going to get you out of there. Thanks for listening.